Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for episode two of In the Tank. I'm Aiden Pearson. I'm joined by Matt Germain. And before we get started here, we'd like to say a huge thank you for the support on episode one. I don't think Matt or I saw this huge support coming from the Rays community on a brand new podcast, but we really do appreciate it. It means a lot, and hopefully you'll stick with us for a ride because this week's episode is a fun one, and we got a lot to talk about. Definitely. So we're going to go ahead and get right into it. Big trade happening yesterday as we record this. Francisco Lindor traded from Cleveland to New York, and he was traded along with Carlos Carrasco. Andres Jimenez is the headliner going back to Cleveland along with Ahmed Rosario. Matt, your first initial thoughts on this, and I know for Rays fans, it makes them feel good about what they got in return for Snell. Yeah, that's actually a lot. I think most people recognize that. And uh, the fact that the Rays were able to get two what you could call frontline starters um, in return, and as well as two really decent catching prospects. And you compare that to what Lindor brought in. I mean, I'm a big uh, Jimenez fan. Uh, Rosario is kind of a wild card. We don't know what they're going to get out of him. But overall, I think most people would say that the return, because of the value we place on pitching, the Rays definitely got more. Um, and I, I also want to add that my first thought was, I'm glad he's not going to the Yankees, and I'm glad he's not going to the Blue Jays. Those were my first thoughts. I, I was super stoked that he's staying in the, uh, or he's going to the National League. And the AL East has had a whole lot of big swings and misses. We're talking about Francisco Lindor. Just today, a few hours ago, Kyle Schwarber heading to the heading to the Nationals. We had a conversation last week about what the Rays are going to look like. What is going to happen? Can they can they win the East? Are they the favorites right now? And I think you know, especially with two of these pieces going elsewhere, it it puts the Rays in a good position with them not going to New York or Boston or Toronto. You know, I think it puts the Rays in a really good position to to succeed again. Yeah, so far, the, the, the more these kinds of things happen, the more pressure there is on those teams to make deals that might not have been their first choices. And I think it's interesting, too, when you look at the Blue Jays, they wanted to shift with that offer they made the, the Indians. They wanted to shift Bichette to third base, obviously, or second. So that means a lot. That means to Bichette, it sends a signal like you probably will end up on third because we'll make a deal somewhere else now, either with Semyon or Simmons or somebody like that to try to, to solidify that defensive you know, lineup. But we'll see. You know, and I think that brings up a good point. There are so many free agents out there right now. And with COVID and everything and the money, who knows where people are going to fall right now? And I think that Mm -hmm. plays perfectly into our next topic of conversation. Eric Neander has shown what a genius he is in making trades, signing free agents under the radar. I know you wanted to have a conversation about it, so let's do it. Eric Neander, is is he the best general manager in baseball right now? Oh, by far. I, I, I kind of jotted down just some of, uh, some of the deals that he's made uh, since he started, you know, taking over the reins as, uh, as GM. And, uh, you know, one of the first things he did was he targeted Wilson Ramos in, in uh, free agency and brought him in, got a big deal. That, that was fine. But his first big trade um, was for Longo, basically wanted to change the the culture of the of the team. Wanted to change the financial uh, flexibility. He had to address needs instead of having it dedicated to one franchise player. And uh, 
what he brought back right afterwards, the people might not have noticed, he went out and got Joey Wendell. And when we look at the way the Rays played this year, he's a vital piece. If he's not playing the way he is at third base, the Rays may not have had the success they did in the playoffs. And there's always that counter move that Neander makes. Uh, another example would be when he traded Chris Starcher. He brought in Glass now right away, and he was an impact player right away. He's filling that hole that he's created by trading a player away. Um, other trades he made, Dickerson, he brought in Cron, uh, Souza, he brought in Pham shortly afterwards. And let's not forget that after he traded Longo, eight months later, he traded Chris Archer. Only eight months, he traded those two franchise players that he had on board. That, that takes a lot of guts to, to pull off and actually get better. And I just want to go through. Since he took over, he, they won 68 games in 2016. In 2017, they won 80 games. In 2018, they won 90 games. In 2019, they won 96 games. And then they won 40 games in the short season. But they went from fifth to third to third to second to first. At the same time, their system went from not being in the top 10 in 2016. In 2017, it was 10th. In 2018, it was fourth. In 2019, second. And in 2020, first. So in, in five years, he's brought the Rays to the World Series, given them the best prospect in MLB and given them the best system in MLB. Now, if that doesn't say the best GM in baseball, I have no idea what does. And let's also take a look at some of the hidden gems he's found. You mentioned Joey Wendell, never a prospect. He was never up there in the top 30 rankings. He's come to Tampa and been that Ben Zobris S. You need him to play second, fine. Play short, fine. Third, fine. Any of the corner outfields, fine. He can do it for you. You also, today is the one-year anniversary of trading for Jose Martinez and Randy Arozarena, and they got rid of a prospect in Matthew Libertor, who everyone at the time was calling it a big loss for the Rays. But look where they're at now. Martinez gave them about 40 games. Then they shipped him off to Chicago. And Randy Arozarena just became the best playoff, single playoff hitter you know, in one single playoffs that we've probably ever seen. So Neander has this act for finding diamonds in the rough. Yeah, he really does. And that, that, that speaks a lot to the staff he has on board helping him too. Um, like we're, we're going to talk about it later, but he's surrounded with great people that he listens to and he pays attention to them and he takes their word to, to fall back on and, and go with. Uh, and that, that's, that's another piece of the equation is being a good listener and knowing when to act and when not to is a huge thing. So, so kudos for that. Last weekend, I went down to Port Charlotte where they were having a yard sale for the Charlotte Stone Crabs who are no longer with us. And I picked yeah, up, and, and Matt can see, I picked up these baseball cards from 2011 and 2013 for the teams, right? Yep. I want to list off a few names that were the Rays high prospects at that time. From these cards, ready? Yeah. Their number one prospect at the time, Hawk Ju Lee, a shortstop prospect. He never equated to anything. We've got guys like Kirk Casale, Alex Colome. Uh, you, you could even go as deep and go into a guy like Jake Thompson, a reliever who was our number five prospect at one point. Like, mm -hmm. that was the culture when we still had Silverman. And now that we have Neander, we're talking about guys – Wander Franco, Vidal Brujan, Taylor Walls, who we'll touch on later as one of our uh, Twitter questions asked. I mean, not only changing the culture at the big league level, but at the minor league level too is huge. Yeah, 
Yeah, the, I would say that the biggest change Eric Neander brought in is that every single asset is valued so highly and, and that it, it has to bring back the top returns. Whenever they do move away from guys, they have to bring in the, the, the best amount of talent. And that includes the international side, which we'll touch on too. Um, but really, they, they lift every rock to find whatever they can find. It's amazing. And, you know, speaking of Neander, speaking of the recent Mets deal and the Snell deal, what do you think realistically? We touched on it this week, but now that we've seen another big deal happen, realistically, do you think the Rays can get back a decent return for Kiermaier with the money he has left on his contract? The, knowing the financials of what's going on around MLB right now is just too hard to tell. I know that what, what has happened that you could put a lot of weight in is that the Mets, the Braves and the Nationals have put a ton of pressure on the Phillies to do something, anything. Uh, I don't know if you've watched Tombstone, but when, uh, when uh, he backhands the other guy and he goes, you're going to do something or just stand there and bleed. And that's basically what Phillies fans are saying right now is they're saying, come on, let's, let's do something to counteract these moves, uh, even though you're not supposed to do that. So I would say, yeah, it, there's probably a, going to be a more aggressive market now that guys are starting to fall into place and pieces are starting to move. Uh, I think you're going to see, you're, you're going to see a fair amount of action. I don't know. I still don't know if it ends up with Kiermaier move. Now I, it does lead into the other thing though, the arbitration cases. So if, if they can't, if they find they can't move Kiermaier, do they flip the switch and then decide to move Margot? Because they do have other pieces they can slide in the outfield. You, you can, but then, then that brings up a question. Okay, what's going to be the market for Margot? Because if you ask me right now, yes, I understand Kiermaier is injury prone, but I'd rather have Kiermaier if I'm trying to win now. Now the question is, is do you move him to win now? Or do you move a guy like, like you said, like with Margot, where he's not going to necessarily help you win now. Because Kiermaier, he is the best defender we have seen in a long time in center field. And in my right. opinion, if I'm trying to win now, I don't need my center fielder. I don't need a center fielder like Ken Griffey Jr. who's giving me 40 bombs a year and 100 RBIs. I need a guy who can play above average defense, hit about 250, and get on base. And Kiermaier can check every single one of those boxes in my opinion right now better than margot now that, that, that's that's when you bring in the true. question of money yeah exactly that's what i was going to say is that to offset that you have okay so let's say they can't get fair value what they deem to be fair value uh, so they're not willing to move kk at this point because that's what they do they move guys for fair value so if you look at the difference in, in money, you're, you're saving about $8 million based on what arbitration Margot might get. And, and you're going to be more willing at that point to offer prospects that are fair value for Margot. So the Rays can then slide a Rosarena in the center field when they need to, who's a right-handed bat, and get more, him more playing time there and see what he's like. Maybe they decide he's not where he wants to be. And maybe they end up putting Vidal Brujan in there instead. Um, but the point is they have other options they can go with than just trading Kiermaier because Kiermaier, like I said, is, is still a leadership value. He still has that go, um, go, go, go factor that he, he will never quit. And, and if he's healthy, he's on the field, he's going to give you hundred percent. So they don't but mind keeping him. As much as I don't mind keeping him too. We have so much young talent that needs to come up at some point. 
Bruhan, Lowe. We don't know what we have in Brett Phillips because he never really got an opportunity in Kansas City. He obviously showed what he can do in the playoffs. He's a huge clubhouse guy. Will he get an opportunity? You've got a Rosarino. That way we can open up a spot for Meadows in the outfield or open up a spot for, you know, if we need Joey Wendell to play out there or Brandon Lau to play out there so we can bring in Franco or Bruhan to play in the infield. You still got guys like Susugo and Brasso. Now the question is, is even if we do move one of them, could we see around the trade deadline when teams are getting more hungry and we know who's closer to being in or closer to being out and need that outfield piece or even with injuries, could we see both of them go? Yeah, it's possible. It it definitely is. Like you talk about Xavier Edwards also being able to shift the center field. You have so much, uh, Josh Lowe is is a pure center fielder, even though his arm works best in, in right field. So you have so many pieces that they can move around. It's hard to tell. But like I said, if they're, if they're just looking to get out from under the money, then yeah, they'll take whatever they can get to, to, to get, you know, they may have to swallow some of the money, three, 4 million. Um, but are the way, are yeah. the Rays going to do that? Are the Rays a team that would swallow some money because we haven't seen it in the past. Are they a team who's willing to yeah. swallow the money? They did. They're still paying KK or sorry, uh, Longo. They're, they're paying Longo's money. I think it ends next year. Um, I think it's 2.5 million to 5 million they were paying a year, uh, depending on which year it was. So they've done it in the past. And, and then what, what they're basically going to look at, they're going to say, okay, we open up center field for Brett Phillips or whoever else we're going to slide in there. KK, we are, we're going to pay $4 million a year while he's getting paid elsewhere. But what are we going to do with that excess money that we're saving? So that 7 million that they're no longer paying to KK, what hole is that going to fill? Is that bringing in James Paxton? Is that bringing in somebody that's going to have the value um, to the team that they want badly? So that's going to be the key. And then that opens up the question, well, what is this team's need? Because if you look at the team right now, do you really see a gaping glaring hole with this team? I mean, the, the offense has no holes, if you ask me. If you're to take what the Rays have on this roster right now, basically their whole World Series roster is intact outside of Snell and Alvarado. And even at that, they've got another, they've got the next man up mentality that right now, I'd say based on knowing that no other free agents have signed them, what is signed right now, you've got to think the Rays are one of the World Series favorites in the AL along with the White Sox are up there. I- that is always going to depend on how much faith you have in their starting pitching or their bulk pitching, if you want to call it that. Um, and I have a ton of faith in it. So I agree with you, but a lot of people would say that they need to see it before they go there. <laughs> we've said that every season. We, we've yeah, said we that have. every season for the fast four seasons and you just read off their, pl- their numbers and they made it to the playoffs. I mean, Glasnow, Fleming, uh, you've still got, I mean, you Yarborough. I mean, you've got yeah. guys who are going to eat these innings. Now, the question is, is are we still going to see the opener? I think that's a huge question. Now teams are reacting to it. Do we still see the opener? Or if they get a guy like Paxton, are we going to let him be traditional? This is, this is where I'm starting to try and figure out and piece together what the Rays' next and greatest thing. Because they were one of the first teams to initiate the shift. They brought in the opener. My question is, is what's going to be the next thing that's going to give the Rays that competitive edge? It's a case-by-case basis when it comes to the opener. I don't think they're going to ask Michael Walker to use an opener, 
Um, and I don't think they would for James Faxton either. I think the opener is was and is more of a way to ease guys into bigger roles over time as they gain more confidence and to not crush their souls, so to speak, by throwing them out there and seeing the lineup three or four times. So I think you're, you're going to see them use it on occasion, but the talent is so steep that what you're going to see more is like a bulk opener. You're going to see a guy two innings, like a John Curtis, two innings to start, and then somebody else slides in. Or somebody else comes in for three innings to start, somebody else comes in, where you get three, two guys filling in six innings. That's going to be more of the raise model, I think, you'll see to fill that fourth or fifth role, depending on what they need. Uh, and then that's going to help them through it. And, and, and honestly, they can have just as much success doing that as somebody sign, sign, giving it a ridiculous amount of money to Jake Arrieta for instance, or, you know, like all these guys that end up with big contracts don't do any better than what the Rays are doing by sending guys out two, three innings at a time. So I hope they do it. <laughs> will that start? And, and this is obviously looking way down the road and we'll get more into this as the season starts and goes on, but mm -hmm. does that create fatigue for the playoffs? Because yes, in a shortened season, we didn't really see it, but towards the end in the World Series, guys like Anderson were getting figured out and Castillo was not the same pitcher he was at the beginning of the season. What Does, does this cause fatigue in teams to figure these guys out that it's not going to allow us to make a deep run? I think if you go back in time in the history of baseball, there isn't a single pitcher on the mound in the playoffs that will tell you, I'm ready to go and I'm 100%. <laughs> it just doesn't happen worn out after 162 game season unless the guy happened to go through an injury and, and was just coming up in September and, and is fresh that way uh, maybe he feels uh, stronger than most but most times everybody's dealing with the same bumps and bruises and tiredness and they have to work through it and and that comes down to the coaches and and the manager knowing their, their staff the best way they can fair enough now, we've been talking about money a whole lot of this podcast. Let's look into our arbitration-eligible guys. Let's it, let's talk about them. We'll start off right at the top. I'm getting this list from D-Rays Bay. If you haven't checked them out, please do, draysbay.com. Great follow. They're working with us here at the Race the Roof Network. Great guys over there. Uh, make sure you check them out. Let's start with our first guy, Yanni Chirinos. What, what are we expecting to see from him? I mean, he's obviously been good. What kind of number can we see from him? you know what it's funny that you touch on him first because he's the one i wanted to keep to last because he's on the bubble in my opinion in then, terms then, of then we'll talk about him later then then let's talk about him last being kept or treated. yeah all right um, I, I, the, go ahead the top race guy the the next guy on the list g man Choi, one of the heart and souls the funniest guy on the team he gives us production when he's in the lineup so but the question but he's not in the lineup every day so what's a fair market value um, I'll put my number on it at about $1.7 million for G-Man. Right. That's pretty much right in a sweet spot, I think. It'll be somewhere between 1.7, 1.8. And I wouldn't be surprised for them to sign them for like an extra year, like to knock off another year of arbitration. So let's say they give them uh, two years for $6 million sort of thing, or, or $5.5 million, something like that, where he has a little bit of security. They don't have to worry about him next year, and they can invest in him a little bit. And I think once he stopped the switch hitting silliness, that he showed his value, and he's one of the best defensive first basemen out there. So why wouldn't they, right? 
Hey, I mean, I didn't hate the switch hitting silliness. All right. It was a cool little thing. And the fact that he hit a home run, Hey, yeah, you know, I know it's not going to be an everyday thing. Uh, next guy up. One of the, one, obviously the ace right now, starting pitcher, Tyler glass. Now he's going to be looking for a payday. Here's what I think. I think the Rays buy out a few years. I think the Rays give them two years, $10 million. They, they can try. I, and I honestly have no idea. Like when Blake Snell signed his extension, I, I don't think anybody saw it coming. I'd been screaming for it for two years because I wanted them to, to extend him before he had a big year and before he had to saw young year. And I think if Tyler Glass now adds that uh, cutter, like they say he's, he is adding, uh, and it's as effective as I hope it is, he's going to cost a whole lot of money. So if they can extend him now, do it now. Do it before arbitration. Don't even go through the arbitration process. Um, so that would be my hope for him. More likely, he'll get somewhere between, you know, 4.5 to 5 million um, like per year um, for, for 21. And then if they can buy out a few years, I don't know if he will or not. He might bet on himself the way uh, Adamus has. And, and I like that. I want to go to one of our Twitter questions. If you're not following us on Twitter, I'm at Aiden on air at Matt underscore Jermaine underscore from Brianna Gonzalez, one of our members of the raise the roof network, Tyler glass. Now you were talking about, he's trying to add a cut cutter and work on the changeup. He tried to add a splitter last year. It didn't work. What can we expect from him? Or is he just going to be a wild card guy? Well, the, the reason I went with the cutter is because I don't know if you've watched a video of him explaining why he can't throw certain pitches and he has that bend in, in his finger, basically. Um, and then I think if he can that he having his split finger not work had a lot to do with that finger position. And, and so if he's able to pair up fingers the way that uh, Ryan Yarbrough does it and, and actually cut the ball just to get that late movement, because with his his velocity if he can get cutters going if you look at the list of of pitchers top 10 in uh, major league baseball the best stats they all have a devastating cutter and it's something you can work in the tunneling with it with the fastball is so um hard to pick up that it's almost impossible and it gets that that missed hit and one of the guys you can take i mean there are two guys who come to mind straight away when you talk about that you darvish has a great cutter I mean, yeah. we and he just got traded to San Diego, and a reliever in Kenley Jansen has an amazing cutter that he can work in that the Rays saw. Do you think he? Do you think it will work for him? Do you think the cutter will work for him? And if so, does that put him in Cy Young contention with the stuff he already has? I have complete faith it will work for him. I, I think it'll make him a Cy Young contender, honestly, and I I have little doubt in my mind because his. It, being his height, his size, when he releases the ball, he's already closer to the plate. He's athletic. He can already get the ball past guys when he needs to. He just needs to have that extra piece that gets hitters thinking. And it doesn't have to be a huge amount of movement when you're talking about the plate. Um, it just has to be enough to get out of innings quicker, number one. So then it gets some more innings. So he can go maybe seven, eight innings. He could be that guy that gives the raise pen a break constantly through 2021. So I think it's going to make him one of the elite pitchers this year, if he wasn't already in 20. 
I, I think that's a great that that's a great assessment on it. Let's go ahead and take a look at another guy we were just talking about, Manny Margot. His arbitration is sort of a weird thing for me. Uh, you you were talking about how uh, our top guy on the list for you, uh, um, Yanni Torinos, is a weird wild card for me. For me, it's Manuel Margot. He's good when he plays. He's he's obviously a younger guy, but if he's not going to play every day, do the Rays give him that huge payday? Right. So, like I said, to me, him and uh, and Yanni are two guys that I could see moved before they even go through the arbitration process. And then there's a lot of reasons for that. But that's, that is what you just said is one of them. Is basically he's young, he's controllable, he doesn't have a, a high cost to him associated yet, and he showed really well in the playoffs despite being, you know, eh, mediocre offensively during the season. He plays extremely hard. But I think at the same time, having said that, he's also found a nest in, in the Rays where he can be himself. He can actually see the corner uh, outfield spots a lot. And, and if his bat comes alive next year, how much value does he have then? So the Rays might want to hang on to him for one more year, see where he's at. And he's still movable at 3.6 million or whatever it is he's going to get in arbitration. And then decide what to do, even possibly midseason if they have pieces they want to move around. So I, I think we'll keep him. Do you have a number that we can sort of see him get? I would predict three point one. I was gonna say, I was gonna say like two point eight, two point nine, somewhere in that. Yeah, in that region. Next up, Mr. Super Utility himself, Joey Wendell. Great at third base this year when he played. Again, another guy who you can slot everywhere. Doesn't necessarily play every day. Um, but I think we could see him get about $2 million. Two to two and a half, somewhere in that range. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. And, uh, <laughs> man, he's in such a weird spot, like with so many guys coming up behind him playing similar roles. Um, that I, I do think they'll hang on to him. And, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them knock out a two-year deal. I really wouldn't. Another starter, Ryan Yarbrough. Um, he's got a really – I, I want to read this description from D-Rays Bay. Yarbrough has a really interesting case. Do they call him a starter or a reliever? He's more of a starter than a reliever. Average just under four and a half innings in appearance. He's put up a 394 ERA over th uh, 344 major league innings. He's, he's good, but – where do you see him fitting in in this? Um, their case right now has it at a um, – they have it right now at roughly 2.2 to two point four million million for Yarborough. What number can you see him getting? Because for me, knowing what he brings to the table and knowing that he's probably going to be a bulk guy or a starter, depending on how they decide to use this season – I think he gets more closer to that 2.5, maybe even up to like 2.6, 2.7 million dollars a year. That's possible. Um, he's like you said, he's he's hard to uh, to value in terms of the the typical uh, major league baseball style of arbitration process, um, and they'll have to modern modernize that to recognize the bulk role and all that kind of stuff. But I, I think just based on what he's provided and, and when you look at the fact he was the second most valuable arm on the Rays this year, 
um, yeah, you'll be at the upper end of, of what you guys stated for sure. All right. Now we're getting to the guy, Yanni Chirinos. You wanted to wait till the end. What's your analysis on him? What are we thinking here? So, so I'm, I'm a huge Herman Marquez uh, fan from, from the Rockies, right? And, and when you're talking about a guy with a splitter the way Yanni has and the way he works the lower parts of the plate, he's perfect for cores. So I, if the Rays were to move pieces for somebody like Marquez, um, I think Yanni could be one of those pieces that goes in that kind of deal. Um, he's somebody that, that's, uh, that's shown enough um, before he got injured, that teams would probably be willing to to bank on him returning at a at a decent level, and and the race has such a, a crunch when it comes to the forty man roster that they're going to have to move some pieces. So if there's one of the guys that's injured that they keep talking about that's not going to be a quick returner, but that they can value in a trade, he's the one that I would probably put weight on and say because he's expected to make one point seven to one point nine million about which when, as we saw with uh, Jose Alvarado, they weren't willing to really sit around on that. So if they can do the same with Yanni and, and a starter should have a little bit more value as well in terms of the trade piece. Um, that's what I'm seeing. I think Yanni might end up getting traded at some point. So I crafted up a deal for, for a Herman Marquez deal. Okay. Mm-hmm. I want to hear what your thoughts are on it. Tell, sure. tell me if it's too far out of the realm of possibility. So the first thing is heading to, hold on. I want to make sure I have it written down. So I'm just trying to pull it up to make sure I get this right. But right. the main piece that the Rays are getting back is obviously, um, is obviously Herman Marquez going over to, uh, to Coors Field is going to be Yanni Torinos. And they need a little bit of outfield help, especially in center field. They're going to send, we're going to send Kevin Kiermeyer as well. Okay. In return, okay. we're going to get Herman Marquez. We're going to get Ian Desmond. And then we're going to get their number 19 prospect, Will Etheridge. He's a 23-year-old right-handed pitcher. He uh, played one season in short season A before 2020. Drafted out of college, he went to uh, University of Mississippi, has a high grade on everything, especially control. Um, I think that's a possible deal. The Rays take a little bit of money back with Desmond. He might be able to slot into a DH role, especially against left-handed pitching. And it sets up the Rays really nicely with Marquez. And one thing they love is bringing back hometown guys. Desmond grew up in my hometown of Sarasota. I just I, – I don't know if, if the Rockies would have much – if the Rockies are moving on from Marquez, that means that they're they're basically moving on from Nolan, Trevor, and Herman Marquez. I think it means that they're 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 going prospects. They're they're going they're not taking in KK. So I think Chirinos to me is more for them is a wild card that says okay we we can start building our staff back up starting in 22, and then go from there and and actually have a guy that's got some experience in our staff. Um, so I, I think one interesting piece that I could see move in a deal, that which still has lots of, of control time for the Rockies to bank on, is Yandy Diaz. He's a guy that I think that they could see as, as one of those, okay, well, we move Nolan Arenado, Yandy Diaz can slot in at third, has power, might play at cores better than it would elsewhere. 
they may have interest in that. So you put Diaz and Chirinos and then some prospects in a Herman Marquez deal. I could see that. Fair enough. And, and this was just something I drew up thinking, okay, yeah. Rays want to get rid of some money, but also they can take a little back. It would be something interesting. Now, sure. speaking of prospects, let's get into one thing that I know you're really passionate about and I love looking at as well, the international signing period. It opens here in about six days. Uh, what, what, what should we be expecting from the Rays knowing what they've done in the past? So I just want to talk about the, the Rays international signings in general. So starting in 2010, when Matt Arnold was still with the Rays, he hired a guy named Carlos Rodriguez. Um, and he was one of the most important pieces that nobody hears about when they talk about Rays. Everybody gives Eric Neander the, the glory. Uh, Carlos Rodriguez and Danny Santana deserve a lot of, of uh, praise for what they've done with the Rays. Um, he's basically Carlos Rodriguez. When you talk about the list of prospects he's brought into the Rays, uh, guys like Wander Franco, uh, Jesus Sanchez, Jose Alvarado, Diego Castillo, uh, all of the big names that you've heard basically internationally have come through uh, Carlos Rodriguez at some point. Now, for the first part of it, between I think think it was I want to say 2013 to 15 or just about 14 uh, he was just a, on the scouting side and then they put him in terms of the player development and scouting thereafter um, and he his role increased once Heim Bloom moved on um, but uh, he's he's one of those guys that that deserves to be known a little bit better um, now in terms of what they're going to do this year I mean if we look back uh, I want to just tell Rays fans too: don't bank the international period on just what you're going to see happen on the 15th, 16th, 17th. Okay. I want to go through the list of, of Rays guys that signed outside the July 2nd period. Okay. Moises Gomez was in April. Uh, Diego Castillo was in March. Yanni Chirinos was just before the, the deadline. They were just basically uh, throwing money that they hadn't, hadn't spent basically. Um, Ronaldo Hernandez was in August. Vidal Buhan was in October. Uh, Jose Alvarado was in March. Yandy Diaz was in September. That was with the Indians. Randy Rosarena was in August. So it doesn't always happen with the top 30 list that you're going to see on MLB Pipeline or in Baseball America and all that stuff. A lot of the successes um, with the Rays or anybody else comes after the signing period. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's important to recognize. So when you're going to hear the names that we're going to say, and this year, um, the guys that they're mostly being talked about, some of them are ranked uh, as high as second in the list, is Carlos uh, Colmenares. Um, he's an 18-year-old, or he's going to be 18 in uh, November 21. Uh, he's a left-handed bat, 55s across the board, basically. There's not a thing he does that isn't slightly above average, according to scouts. Um, that that makes they, me that that yeah, makes me feel bad because he's 17, I'm 18. I played high school ball knowing I'm not going to get to the MLB, <laughs> but I got this kid who's about to make millions of dollars, and I'm sitting here recording a podcast. No offense, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. But yeah, exactly. No, it's awesome. These guys are are pretty happy when they sign the contracts. I know that for sure. Uh, so the guy that he gets compared a lot to is as Drupal Cabrera. Now, I know a lot of Rays fans are kind of like, oh, it's Jubal Cabrera. Eh, not really that. The guy had six seasons where he had 2.5 F war or better. 
Let's let's so, not talk about when Estrubal was with Tampa, but before Tampa, yeah, he was exactly. a good. Around he was a, Tampa. He was he was an above average shortstop. He I was, mean, another was. guy that I've seen him compared to is Jose Reyes back with his Mets days. Right. I don't know if he has that kind of speed, but uh, he could. <laughs> I mean, Jose Reyes probably wasn't rated the same way when he was coming up either. Um, but he's got above average D soft hands. Um, I think the, the, the two guys they're bringing in that the one thing that I keep hearing, and I've listened to a lot of guys, you know, getting interviewed, Ben Badler, idea, is the makeup. The makeup apparently with these guys is just off the charts. They're, they're great guys, huge workers, uh, guys that will put in the time and actually try to get the best out of their tools. And a lot of times that's the key between making it and not, right? So he has a lot of promise. The other guys is Johnny Perone. Is the, uh, he's a 17-year-old from the Dominican Republic. He has a right-handed bat. And all his grades are between 50-55. He's more of a, uh, a speed-power combo um, so the hip tool might not play as highly as Carlos, but, um, the ceiling might also be higher if it, because if it does play, um, then he might end up with a, a more uh, explosive profile, I guess, than Carlos would. Do so we, those are the two guys. yeah, do, I mean, the race have obviously had a lot of success. Is there any pitchers that they're looking at? Anything, any fireballers, anything like that? Like you're talking about guys with Castillo and Alvarado. We've obviously had success there. And we're a pitching factory here in Tampa. I don't care what anyone says. I mean, you think of the guys that have come through Tampa, even not through this draft. Price, Shields, uh, Scott Kazmir, uh, Matt Garza, uh, a list of guys that goes on for miles and miles. Is there someone it's, here that the Rays could be targeting that could be that? I haven't heard one, to be honest, and, and but there likely will be. And we'll see those signings come through. They, a lot of times, I don't know why, but a lot of times the, the international signings tend to take a while to show up on the transaction lists. And they're really hard. Like I, when I was doing my Wander Rays site, um, I had a, a really in-depth list of the international signings. And I would get notes sometimes from, from staff at uh, from the Rays saying, uh, well, that guy actually didn't sign then, he signed then. Or that amount isn't correct, it's this amount. Yada, yada, yada. So there's, for some unknown reason, they like to keep a lot of that information secret. And, and a lot of times it might end up being in the contract that they sign. Uh, it might have to do with the, the way that the transactions went with the agents and the agencies. Yada, yada, yada. But um, what I will say is that the Rays have a long history of finding major league talent on the mound through the international stuff. So we, we, we mentioned Herman Marquez, he's one of them. They found him in 2011. They found uh, Jose Mujica, who's with the Rockies now in 2012, as well as Jose Castillo. Um, Christopher Sanchez is a guy they just traded to Philadelphia, right? And he's got a hundred mile an hour fastball. He's doing all right. Um, they, they had a, Resley Linares is one of the guys, he's still in their top you know, 50, 60 prospects. Rodolfo Sanchez is a guy they traded to the Jays, which I really like as a prospect. Um, and Sandy Gaston is a guy they picked up um, from Cuba who should, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do, end up being a pretty special guy. So uh, and, they'll, they'll usually work in some pitchers for sure. Yeah, because, I mean, we look at Tampa and what they can do in the in the Rays. It's it's going to be good. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to be good. So – my next question for you, and I want to go to 
a few of our questions on our tweet. So the first question is, is we've sort of talked about it. So I'm going to just mention it uh, at Rankin Randy on Twitter. He asked three questions. Uh, do you think the Rays get a quality starter um, or are they content where they are? We've talked about whether they bring in Marquez or Paxton. Um, I think those are two names to look at, but if they can't, I'm pretty happy with where they're at at the moment. Yeah, I, I think, and, and you know what, like the Rays are so funny that way they might already have brought in David Hess could be the guy that they're thinking can eat some innings and do really well. Chris Ellis could be that guy, right? Like there's, there's just always seems to be that one pitcher that you bring in, you don't expect much from and turns out to be really great. I'll give you an example. Last year, Aaron Sledgers, how many people had him in terms of their production, you know, from, from the, the Rays on the mound. Even at the beginning, even at the beginning of the season, no one had Josh Fleming coming up this year. And look what he did. I did, but that's just, I mean, you and I both did. You and I, you and I, I'd say, I'd say on Twitter, not trying to, not trying to toot our own horn, but you and I on Twitter are two of the guys who are really knowledgeable about these prospects. And that's why I'm glad we're doing this. And, you know, we can talk about these prospects. I love Fleming's makeup and I love what he was bringing to the table. And I thought he was going to get a chance this year, but the casual Rays fan did not see him coming up. No, for sure. And I can understand why. Right. For sure. The next question, do you think Wander Franco and Josh Lowe start this year at the big leagues? I'd say my answer to that is I don't think so. So have the Rays seen enough from Wander Franco to extend him? And is he the kind of player that would accept an extension? Those are the actual questions. I think that if the Rays can move KK, they will find enough money to extend Wander Franco and he'll be there opening day. If they can't move KK and the money isn't there and Stu's not willing to sign a big enough check to get him extended and, and he's too skittish about the amount of time that they're giving to a prospect that they've never seen at the major league level, then likely, no, we don't see him until June. And, and I would say that more likely for both, for both yeah. Josh and, and Josh might be even later. You might, you might be talking like more August for Josh. And the last question from uh, Rankin Randy, I know the answer to this from me and probably from you. Did we get any worse this offseason so far? The answer is no. If anything, we got better and deeper. Yeah, you have to be able to value the prospects accordingly. And, and I kind of said this today, actually, in a tweet. I said, um, who was the best hitter on the Rays in 2020? It was Randy Rosarena. He's a, he's a rookie, still a rookie. And he was he brought the most value to the Rays and at, at the plate in 2020. So how can we not weigh that looking at 2021? I, I don't I I resist saying that they got better because that's a pretty tall order to put. And, and I need to see what Brendan McKay can bring once he's it, back. I need to see, you know, and that's why I was things. very hesitant about saying better. They definitely got deeper and they didn't get any worse. They are very well, and especially if they have a minor league season and guys can actually get work in to, to show their stuff, improve and actually help, <laughs> then yeah, they definitely would get better at that point. Our next question coming up from Bree Gonzalez again. Um, are there any other players? We obviously have talked about KK. 
but are there any other players that are most likely to be involved in trades? We talked about Yanni Chirinos. Is there any other guy you see that could be moved? Wow. That's a, that's a really tough question when you're talking about the Rays. I could see Ryan Yarbrough being moved. I could see um, Joey Wendell being moved. I could like, there, there's basically nobody on the Rays. I mean, the guys that I know are staying are basically Tyler Glass now and Wander Franco. Everybody, or maybe Randy Rosarena. I was going to say, three guys that, that you know are staying. Everybody else w- w- is, is, you know, uh, I don't want to The only other guy who I'd say is probably, is most likely staying is uh, Nick Anderson too. Right. Well, I don't think his value would be there either right now because of what happened in the yeah. playoffs. So yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, But I think another name that you might be able to see just because of how he hits left-handed pitching, is Michael Brasso. He doesn't really have necessarily a place on this team, especially when Franco comes up, that right now, why don't you maximize on his value? Well, like I said, if, if you're able to include Yandy Diaz, who has more value, I think, to teams like the Rockies, et cetera, in a trade for, for a pitcher, um, then I guess – Trade value is the biggest reason. So I would rather see a combination of Jiman Choi and Mike Brossow at first because I can shift Brossow to second or I can shift Brossow to shortstop in a pinch or even third, right, or left field. I can't do that with Diaz. So I'm more open to moving Diaz than I am moving Brossow because of that. Um, her last question. Um, a lot of prospect, like on the rankings, the MLB has their ETA, like when they're supposed to come up. A lot of the Rays guys have 2021s for when they'll arrive in the majors. Which ones are we actually likely to see this season? I think that question is a loaded question, and and I'll explain why. First of all, the Rays are so all over the place every year that we never know what's going to happen. Second of all, it also depends on injuries. It also depends on if there are any injuries, big injuries that happen like that. And the third is, will we even have a minor league season for these guys to get the work in before they come up? Yeah. I mean, I can give you maybe seven to eight guys that I'm pretty sure we're going to see at some point because their, their stuff is just, just so outstanding. As long as they're healthy, we should see them. So you Rattle have, them off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that easy. Just, just spit them out. So. <laughs> We're going to see Wanda Franco, right? We're going to see uh, Vidal Brujan. We're going to see possibly um, Shane Baz, Joe Ryan, and Ronaldo Hernandez. Okay. Those are the guys that I would say you're more than likely going to see at some point. I'm going to go off the MLB top 30 um, prospect list. And some of these guys are already up in the majors. So I will say their names just so that way I'm going down the list. Wander Franco, we will see in Tampa this year. Brendan McKay, yes. Patino, yes. Dal Brujan, yes. Uh, Xavier Edwards, I think, needs another year. Shane Baz, I think we see. McClanahan, I think we see. Cole Wilcox, I think we see. I think he'd be good coming out of the bullpen. Honeywell, not sure with his injury. Uh, Nick Bisco, no. Joe Ryan, probably. Josh Lowe, depending on what happens with Kiermaier and Margot, could very well be an opening day guy here in Tampa. You know, it all depends on what happens with them. Greg Jones, we probably won't. Hernandez, I agree with you. And the only other guy on this list, uh, we'll probably see Kevin Padlow. 
obviously a Rosa Reina. And I also think I would not be shocked if we see uh, uh, Drew uh, Strotman, the number 28 prospect, the right-handed pitcher. Yeah, he'll be there for sure. I, I missed him. I just went through the guys off the top of my head that I know are, are up yeah. there. And Taylor Walls, I, I definitely expect to be up there. Um, next question comes in from Nick while we're talking about prospects. What do you expect from Taylor Walls this year? Again, I think this question sits with what is our minor leagues going to look like? That's the big million-dollar question right now, billion, trillion-dollar question. Are we going to have a minor league season? I Yeah, we're, we're going to have one. I think it's just going to be delayed, and it's exactly what I said. Somebody said to me on Twitter that they – uh, they can understand why there's no minor league uh, play yet, yet, yet. And I said, well, if you're able to have major league play, you're able to have minor league play. You just have to separate the two so you don't have such large groups at the same time. So you can have a spring training that's elsewhere or, or different timings for the minor leaguers. And it's going to work out well, I hope. Um, but yeah, I expect Taylor Walls um, to take over shortstop with the Rays, to be honest. I, I don't. I don't think people know how good he is. I really don't. And I, a lot of that has to do with the way we cover minor leagues and the lack of, of um, the lack of exposure guys have once they hit double A. And that, to me, that's the key moment. That's when you see prospects get separated, right? That's why the Rays traded Jesus Sanchez. He went to double A and basically swung at everything <laughs> and said, you know what? I'm going to let my bat do the talking and I'm just going to swing at whatever I can. And he's still doing that today. And they saw that coming and they said, well, it, because of his double A play, he became tradable. Um, and the opposite is true with Taylor Walls. Taylor Walls went to double A. He hit um, 287, 365, 521. Uh, that's an 887 OPS. Uh, if you look at what Adamus did at the same level, it was 802. So he's almost 100 points higher OPS-wise. Now, to be fair, he was older at the same time. Um, but he also had a 234 ISO compared to 156 for Adamus. He still kept his, his strikeouts in check about 20%. And he produced 151 WRC+. Do you know who else produced about similar rates at double a Mike Brassau. Mike Brassau was basically all the way through about 150, 145 WRC plus. Now to me, the, the reason I say Taylor walls is going to take over shortstop is the speed factor, the range factor. And if I were the raise, I want Willie Adamas at second. I want Taylor walls at shortstop and I want Brandon Lau in left field. You just keep that trio that that way. And you have one of the best defensive tandems in, in all of baseball when it comes to second base and shortstop. I really believe that could work. Now it takes some buy-in from Willie Adamas to be willing to shift there. And you can go the other route and put Adamas at third, maybe put Wander Franco at second. There's that option as well. But I think that because of, of the hands Willie Adamas has to be able to turn double plays, the leadership he has to pair him with Taylor Walls at shortstop who has better speed and range I think you would have a stellar, stellar, stellar up the middle D for sure. I I agree 1000%. I think it is honestly going to be Walls is going to Walls is going to man shortstop for the race for years to come. I think in I think in 2 years you're going to see an infield consisting of probably you're definitely going to see a guy like uh 
you're probably still going to see Choi here. Choi will be at first base. You're going to see probably, in my opinion, Adamas at second. You're going to see Walls at short. And you're going to see uh, Wander Franco at third. And then in the outfield, you're going to see a Rosarena, Bruhan, and Lowe in, in some configuration, Lau or Lowe. And then you could even say, all right, Brandon Lowe, you're going to DH for us. Or if he gets too expensive, you trade him. You know, there are so many different possibilities that it's so hard to tell right now. All right, so now after talking about Taylor Walls, there's another question here on Twitter. Um, it's got sort of multi-purposes, but I'm going to answer the one part of it at first. How would you set the raise batting order with the DH? So I was quickly, while we were taking, while we were doing this, I quickly drew up a quick lineup. I want to hear your thoughts on it, as well as any of our listeners, if you want to tweet at us. I'd love to hear your thoughts. So leading off in right field, I've got Randy Arozarena. Shortstop, Willie Adamas hitting in the two hole. Austin Meadows is going to DH and hit third. G-Man Choi at first hitting cleanup. Brandon Lau in the five hole where he succeeded the most, according to stats last year, playing second base and hitting fifth. Manuel Margot in left field hitting sixth. Joey Wendell at third hitting seventh. Kevin Kiermeyer in center, and this is as of the roster right now. Kevin Kiermeyer in center hitting eighth, and Mejia behind the dish, the switch hitter hitting ninth. So that's a Rosarena, Adamas Meadows, Choi, Lau, Margot, Wendell, Kiermeyer, and Mejia. Right. That's a solid lineup. It's just, you know, it's throwing the best hitter at them right off the bat. And uh, I think that has a lot of value. I, I think. It, it's tough to say exactly how they're going to value guys um, going left and right. And I looked at the roster, the lineup a lot when they were doing the playoffs and, and they were doing the whole balancing thing, right? Like left, right, left, right, left, right. A lot of the times, but some other times they were also willing to do Meadows and, and Brandon Lau back to back, et cetera, et cetera. What a Rose Arena gives them is a guy to put between those two. So I think whatever lineup they end up having is is probably going to have that, right? Um, possibly they saw enough out of Manny Margot to put him at leadoff and, and to see how that works to, to start the year. Uh, or they go with Brendan Lau or uh, Austin Meadows to kind of smack the ball around at the top. But yeah, I think you're right. Like Those four top guys generally are kind of or three, sorry, uh, Brendan Lau, Meadows, and Rosarena are likely going to be in one of those top three or four spots. Um, one guy that they also like to stick up there once in a while is Yandy Diaz. So if he does stick around, uh, if not him, possibly Brasau, depending on who they're facing and if they think he'll have success with them. But yeah, I if I was to do my perfect lineup, I would start with Wando Franco <laughs> at the top. <laughs> Right. Brandon Lau, Randy Rosarena, Austin Meadows and number four. And then you would have your uh, Willie Adamas behind him, uh, Manny Margot and uh, the catcher uh, Mejia or Zanino and then go on from there. But uh, it's one of those things where it's, it's always tough to tell the lineup day to day. Never mind setting one up before the season starts. So it always depends on whether they're facing a lefty or a righty anyway. I just made a little more of a balance lineup real quick with the nine guys I just had. So so this might be a little more of a look. Margot leading off, Brandon Lau in the two, a Rosarena hitting three with Meadows in the cleanup. Then you've got Giamad Choi, Willie Adamas, and Kevin Kiermeyer with Mejia and Wendell. So that gives you right, left, right, 
a back-to-back left, right, left, switch, left. So it's right. relatively balanced. You might be able to do some flipping around, like maybe lead off Brandon Lau to maybe get him some more production uh, and switch a Rosarena and Meadows. That way it's a perfectly balanced lineup. But I think whatever you see the race see, they're going to do something different every day. And they're not afraid to put eight, nine lefties back to back. And we saw that this year. Right. And, and I think what Eric Neander said kind of will resonate with the 21 race where they want more contact. They want the ball to be put in play. So whoever does end up in there, that'll be their mission is, is to, yeah, hit the ball hard, but also make contact, actually hit the ball. <laughs> and, and that question was from uh, Nunia Ray, Nunia Ray one on Twitter. They also asked, what will be the run prevention innovations this year? I think that's a that's something we've sort of already touched on. Maybe going three innings at a time, so it's not a bulk guy, but similar to a similar to what I'd say is like minor league days, where you have you know a starter go four and then another starter go five, or a starter go four, starter go four, and then a closer. Something similar to that. Do you remember the the running joke? And I think it was it started in 2019 um, when they had such a stacked. Uh, number of arms going back and forth between Durham and and, and Tampa or St. Pete. Um, I think that's what you're going to see. You're, you're still going to see the options being used quite a bit to keep guys fresh, to keep them, you know, going and to get guys um, sorted out when they need to. So it'll depend more on, on the schedule. Uh, that will determine the role as much as the, the health and, and how, how much they expect out of the pitcher. Now I want to, talk a little bit about the schedule do we see something similar to hockey where they have four divisions put eight teams in each or whatever and said okay you're only going to play interdivision games similar to what they did last year with the 60 games you know what i mean but I do we it's... see them potentially let's scrap the league format 10 10 teams in each division or whatever you want to call it and then we say the top 14 teams make the play, like the top three, the top four teams from each thing make the playoffs. Yeah, I don't honestly, anything is possible at this point. But one thing we've learned from all these sports is that they hate following each other because none of them are doing the same thing. Uh, they all have different things that they have to weigh and, and they like to do their own uh their own doctrine kind of stuff. So I, I think what you're going to see is something creative again, uh, something that for some unknown reason that the, the league keeps wanting to stress that you have to give something to get something and anything we give you is giving and you need to. So who knows where it ends up? I'm just encouraged with the fact that they're saying it's seasonal start on time. That's, that's huge. So if that's the case, if they're starting on time, that tells me they have a plan of some sort as to how they're going to do it. So that hopefully is the case. And I would say the whole East staying with the East West staying with the West central staying with the central thing might end up happening again, depending on how the vaccines are going. Maybe they'll do that for part of the year and then open it up second half. Will we see a full season? I personally, what I would do if I was major league baseball, I want that wiggle room in case guys, a rampant amount of guys test positive on one team. So what I would say is somewhere between 125 to 145 games is what I would aim for to give myself that space and, and go by winning percentage for, for playoff spots. 
So that way you're not forced to kind of unfairly treat certain teams like they did with the Marlins and the cards last year. So I think avoid- the number they get in is I think they do 142 because that's mm-hmm. been the big number that has always been stretched out. Oh, let's shorten the season a little bit. Let's bring it down to 142. Yeah. I think we see 142 games. And what that also gives them is flexibility to say, okay, well, we can stretch it a little more if we've got a team who came down with the virus or, okay, we had to take a where we would take the all-star break. We're instead going to take two weeks to allow more rest time in between because you haven't played a full season in over a year. Let's give you two weeks there at the all-star game. And, you know, instead of a all-star game, maybe we're going to do an at-home home run derby where one player from each team is going to hit in their home ballpark or some sort of yeah. something to give the fans still some fun, but also to give the players some rest. I could see them not having an all-star game until after the season, possibly. Um, but again, it, it always depends on the the vaccine rollouts and who knows how things are going to happen by the end of the month uh, when things open up politically and hopefully settle down a little bit. Um, hopefully uh, the rollout of vaccines ends up being positive and uh, there, there's no repercussions with the new variant of the virus. That way we can kind of get fans back in and, and have the owners loosen up the purse strings a little bit. And let's look at the last few questions from uh, Burst Sports on Twitter. Will the result of will the result of pulling Snell so early in that World Series game maybe make them reevaluate reevaluate their whole process on how they handle starters at least a little bit? And do you think they will allow starters to maybe go a little deeper in games this year? No. Why would they? They they won forty games. Right. And, and how many of those games were won by Snell and Morton? Six. So they won 34 games without those guys on them. They are not changing that. They have a process. It's working. They won 40 games in the AL East. They beat the snot out of the Yankees. They are not changing that at all. Uh, I think the moment, let's say the moment is recreated. It happens again in the World Series of 21. Maybe they yeah. reevaluate then, in the moment. Right. But they're not going to change their entire system just because of one mistake. That's that's a that's a ninety-nine. Take it from the season. Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, that worked. Mm -hmm. Sure, the one time it messed up was in the biggest game of the season, but but if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And it's obviously not broken. It was a fluke. Right. And here's my argument for that. Okay, Um, before the Snell moment. Uh, you had the game where Charlie Morton was cruising, right? And and they took him out what I considered early. I was I was fairly vocal that I, I would have kept him in a, a little bit longer online. Um, but it, Charlie was fully supportive of it. He never once said no. He, he was cheering from the dugout. He was really on board with it. And if they can sell Charlie Morton on that in the World Series, I'm all for it. It means that the process is valid. They have a reason for doing what they do. If you want to see some great in-game analysis, just scroll back to the around the time of the World Series on Matt Germain's Twitter. It's some funny stuff. It's some funny stuff and also some great analysis at the same time. Uh, very vocal. And, and that's one thing you got to love about it. Um, so, yeah, I think to answer that question, we don't see any change. I think maybe having a guy like Waka or something like that, we may see a little more length. And it also depends on season length, how much length we see. I, I think that's a big, big deal into it as well. 
Well, keeping guys fresh in 21 is going to be the the main thing is to have them ready for when the playoffs hit. That's going to be huge. So, Matt, before we sign off for the day, I want to put you – I'm going to put you on the hot seat, and I'll answer these same three questions. I'm going to ask you three questions. I want to hear your responses to them, however long or short you want to make them. First yeah. question, one free agent the Rays signed before, the, before spring training starts? James Paxton. One trade that the Rays make before spring training? Ooh. Um, a traded player? Either trade they're bringing in someone or trading out someone. They're trading Yandy Diaz. Trading Yandy Diaz. And the third question, who is going to be the Rays MVP this season? I wish I knew if they were Tyler Glass now. All right. I'll answer those same three questions. They're going to, I agree with the James Paxton signing. They're going to trade for Herman Marquez. Actually, no. They're going to trade for Luis Castillo. And their MVP this year is going to be Manuel Margot. Whoa. Wow. I I had no idea you were that big a fan. I love Margot. Being being a guy, I'm an old school guy in the sense of how I value players. I'm... Mm -hmm. To be completely honest with you, I hate war. I hate BABIP. I hate OBP plus or whatever it is. Because one thing that all these stats don't consider is the eye test or the intangibles. All these, the defensive runs saved. Great. You're talking about war. What's the replacement? And average changes from year to year. So Ty Cobb's replacement from back in the day is not going to be the same as Joe DiMaggio's is not going to be the same as Ken Griffey juniors. It's not going to be the same as Mike Trout's. So you can't compare it that way. And in my opinion, yeah, you're right. And you know what? I'm glad you're saying that because it's nice to hear from young people, uh, not just, you know, old folk like me. So yeah, it's a combination of everything, right? So it's everything can be used. The tool has to be used. And, and you have to compare apples to apples. So if you are using those statistics you're talking about, you have to look at similar timelines, similar players, similar positions on similar teams. Like you're talking, even the pitching stats, like what team is behind them? Can I really rate a raise pitcher the same way as I can a Mets player, knowing the team that's behind them defensively? Can I, can I even rate a raise pitcher from, two th- from this year to a raise pitcher from 2002? Right. It's the no. same team just completely different behind them. You know what I mean? So when I look at the eye test and I look at guy, I look at a guy like Manuel Marco. One thing I see is he's loved in the clubhouse. You talk to any guy on the race, him, Brett Phillips, they keep it loose in the clubhouse, especially with the Hispanic guys in there. He's a big guy with them, right? Yeah. Next thing. He's a above average defender. When you look at the eye test, the metrics may not say it, but you know just as well as I do that you watch him play. He's great at the positioning of how he plays. He takes great routes to the ball, and he can get to a lot of balls. Also, I think when you talk about him at the plate, he has a great approach, and he works the count that not a lot of guys do. He can work the count. If you need him to, he can put a bunt down. He can steal a base. He can do a whole lot of things. And that I also think his leadership on the field, especially manning a position like left field or right field or center field, the way he's able to 
position other defenders and things like that is huge that you're never going to see on a metric. And I think now that he has the confidence that he can do it here in Tampa and do it in the playoffs, he's going to be poised for a huge season. Yeah. I'll tell you what, it's not a bad bet. Like if he does the best, if he takes the best parts of what he was in the playoffs and applies them in 21, he could have the same kind of leap that we saw from Kettle Marte with the uh, Diamondbacks, for instance, where he went from being just, you know, trying to figure things out to boom, exploding on the scene and, and being one of those guys that, yeah, he was definitely the, the MVP on his team. Now, to say anybody's going to be better than Randy Rosarena at this point is going to be <laughs> hard selling but, a lot of places. And, and, and I know it's going to be hard for Rays fans to see that. But one thing I've got, I can say about that. Randy Rosarena, we know he did it in the playoffs. A, our team's going to figure him out. And B, he did it in a 25-game span. Can he do it across 162? I think he can because he's a smart player. I saw the way he was getting pitched at. And what sells me on Randy Rosarena is, is not the home runs. The home runs were glory. They were glorious. I love them. <laughs> but it was when he was not getting the pitches to see, to hit out, he was taking what he was given and striking it to the opposite field, getting signals, getting hard doubles. He was willing to just work with everything he had without trying to do too much with it. So that's the fallacy of Willie Adamas. If Willie Adamas applied himself at the plate the same way Randy Rosarena does, he'd be an MVP candidate. He just, he's too stubborn in trying to pull the ball all the time and trying to, to, to drive everything out of the park. So I, I have full faith in Randy Rose. And as a reason, they, they treated Matthew Liberatore for him. But having said that, I still think because you're talking about weighing Randy Rosarena, who's going to be an excellent hitter for 21, versus a Cy Young candidate, I'll take the Cy Young candidate. So that's why I went with Tyra Glass now. Let me ask you this last question. Obviously, you say Glass now, but outside of Glass now, who is going to be the Rays' best pitcher this year? Wow, that's, that's an interesting question. Uh, because I know my answer is I've got two guys who are high up there for me at the beginning of the year, at the end of the year, or all the way through the year. <laughs> Give me beginning, end, and all the way through. I want to hear all three for you. Oh, oh man, you, you, uh, you brought it up. One. Let's hear it. <laughs> um, all the way through, uh, I'll go with Aaron Sledgers. Okay, um, at the end, Brendan McKay. Okay. At the beginning, at the beginning, I'll say Josh Fleming. I just don't know if he slides over to a uh, a uh, pen roll at some point, depending on how they want to manage innings and all that kind of stuff. I like your picks. Here's mine. It's going to go a little bit different than yours here. At the beginning of the season, so. at, at the beginning <laughs> of the season, Colin Poche is going to come out and fill that role that Alvarado was doing. He's going to be that MVP at the beginning. Okay. The second half, after working with Snyder, it's going to be Michael Walker. Michael Walker is going to have a breakout year here in Tampa. He'll get some time to work with Snyder, and he'll be great. Overall, the whole season is the guy you picked for the first, Josh Fleming. No matter what role the Rays are going to put him in, he's going to succeed. I could see him having a sub-2.5 ERA this season with over 120 innings pitch. Because of the stuff he brings and because of how, how, how offset he can put the hitters and how he'll be used in different roles, I think he's going to be a name to watch this year. 
he's he's definitely a great asset for them that's for sure uh, and you know all these are obviously unknowns and we'll talk more about it as the before the season starts and we'll have a whole episode where we talk about predictions for the Rays sort of right before opening day because yeah. obviously right now it's too early to tell and everything and there was a question about there was a question do the Rays make the postseason and right now it's too early to tell yeah for sure we're hoping they do we we are we're hoping every Rays fan is hoping, especially after trading Snell and losing Morton and everything like that. Uh, we talked a little bit about it last week with Patino. He'll obviously, hopefully, do well here in Tampa. But do you think he's used in a starter role, a bulk role, or I've seen even some people say to start they'll use him out of the bullpen? I one hundred percent don't think they'll use him out of the pen. I, I just, I think they are sold on him being a starter. The, the question I would ask is, do they start him in AAA or on the major league roster? So if there are things that they want him to hammer out before they get him in a starting role at the major league level, I don't, I wouldn't put it past them because number one, it buys them more time of control. And number two, it actually sets the mindset of how they want him to pitch and shows the proof. So you can sell anything you want to Patino and say, yeah, we have a good track record. We're a good team. We know what we're doing. Trust us. But until you see the process actually play out and they have really great catchers in AAA to kind of guide them through it as well. It's not like they're, um, they're throwing him to the wolves and they can show them the proof of all the guys they hammered out in 2020. That, that came up after, you know, has spending some time away from the team and say, look, these guys succeeded because we did this, that, and the other thing. He's, he's going to start in AAA. And the reason I say that is a, just so he makes sure he understands what the race pitching philosophy is and to make sure he's ready to go. But B, we saw them do the same thing with Austin Meadows. Now, mind you, it's a hitter over a pitcher. And when Austin Meadows came up after the trade, after spending a month in Durham, he was electric. So yeah. I think we can see something similar. There's nothing wrong with that. And it lowers the pressure on him. It lets him ease into it. I mean, there, I don't think there's going to be a sense of urgency of Patino has to go out there and start right away, four innings, five innings, whatever it is. But I do think they want him in that starting role. They don't want him getting used to being a reliever because that's a dangerous thing as well. It's, a, it's really hard to shift guys back into length once they're they're in the back end role for a year and a half, let's say. Now, before we go, because we're wrapping up our time here, can you give me one bold prediction for the week ahead? One prediction you think either Rays or something in baseball happens before we record next Saturday? Something in baseball happens. Um, I will say that the Rays will sign somebody from Cuba. That would be my bold prediction. I like it. There's going to be a name out there that we we are monitoring or not. And and the one that I'm hoping they, they, they and that's why I asked Neil Solons today. I said, how much money, like through all the trades that the Rays have made, have they picked up international money in the 20 period, 2021? And there, nobody has that answer for me yet. And, and how much that would be because they're able to get up to 75% of their total. I don't think they went anywhere near that, but Oscar Colas is a guy that I would love to see the Rays bring in. And, and he's a left-handed pitcher and outfielder. If they can land him some way, somehow, and even exceed all their things and pay penalties if they want to, 
that would be a coup basically for for the Rays. I think here are my I have two. I have one for the Rays and one for baseball itself. My one for the Rays is that the Rays bring in another starting pitcher, whether it's Paxton, whether it's Marquez, Castillo, something. I see the Rays bringing in one of them this week after seeing what Carrasco did because I know they had their eye on Carrasco. My second one for baseball in general is I think Chris Bryant gets moved. We've heard reports of the Mets talking about him. We've heard reports of the Blue Jays talking with him. We've even heard reports of the Nationals talking about him. I think before we record next Saturday, Chris Bryant, and if I had to put my money somewhere, I think, sadly, we see him in the AL East with Toronto. Chris Bryant. I, I think the Jays will go for Nolan Arenado before they go for Chris Bryant. Just because, well, I say that, as long as they can get the contract issues sorted out where he can opt out and all that kind of stuff. Because the, the, the Jays had the worst DRS uh rating of of all of major league baseball and and arenado had the best one i think he's a perfect fit there uh, they can leave bichette at at shortstop so bryant but it could happen bryant might be a cheaper acquisition cost so i say bryant just... could be cheaper he gives yeah. you a little bit more flexibility position wise and i think that the blue jays may shy away shy away from arenado just a little bit for the simple fact of the last time they brought in a marquee name from Colorado. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Troy Tulowitzki, he flared out. Yeah. Do they want to yeah. run that risk again? Because his glove, <laughs> you can't deny Nolan Arenado's glove, but can his bat do it outside of course? That and that's so the question familiar. with any guy coming from Colorado ever. We saw that Tulowitzki's bat couldn't, and his defense started to flounder because he was so frustrated at the plate that maybe mm. they bring a guy like Bryant who has shown he can do it in Chicago where it's not, not a hitter-friendly ballpark unless the wind's blowing out of Wrigley. Right. That, okay, he may not be as good of a defender, but he's an above-average defender. Maybe they bring him in. Oh, it's, a, it's an interesting fit for sure. So we appreciate... We appreciate all y'all joining us this week again. We'll be back again next week. Any final thoughts before we sign off? Uh, yeah, just pay attention to the international market. It's going to be fun and the arbitration uh, stuff coming through. So keep your ears out and open and, and the Rays will probably be making a few moves that are interesting. So make sure, obviously, you're if you're a Rays fan, you probably follow Rays baseball on Twitter. Make sure you follow me at Aiden on air at Matt underscore Jermaine underscore. We'll both be posting anything that we see Rays related. Also, I know by the time this podcast is out, the game will already have happened, but go Bucks. Uh, hopefully trying to get their first playoff win. Matt and I were talking about this. The last time I saw the Bucks in a playoff game, I was five. The last time they won a game, I was seven weeks old, which is when they won the Super Bowl in 2003. So let's go Bucks. Hopefully they win and get to move on to the next round. Uh, you're a Patriots fan, but seeing Brady, I'm sure makes you, I'm not sure if it makes you happy or sad. Both as seeing him have success, you know, it, it kind of pours some, uh, some good juices over the wounds of the Patriots season. And, and we're in Tampa Bay TB, Tom Brady. It's a perfect fit. Hopefully all the stars align and they can be the first ever team to play in the Super Bowl in their home city. Um, make sure you also follow 
um, at Raise the Roof TB, our network that we're a part of. Uh, check out some of their awesome, great podcasts. Their website is dropping soon. A lot of good content coming out on there. Um, but once again, I'm Aiden Pearson for Matt Jermaine and myself. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week with more information.